to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine podcast, a bi-weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comments section or send us an email. To learn more, visit the website at www. LorenaWhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute or a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Kanika Pulliam talks with me about living with uterine fibroids, the twists and turns associated with the management of uterine fibroids, and the road less traveled, an integrative approach to her personal healing. Kanika Pulliam was born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. She has a bachelor's degree in biochemistry from Spelman College and a PhD in genetics and molecular biology from Emory University. Kanika directs career development and workforce diversity programs at a nonprofit scientific organization in Rockville, Maryland. In her position, she oversees professional development activities for early career researchers. Kanika considers herself an exercise junkie, but despises running. She enjoys wine, chocolate, red velvet cake, puzzles, and more recently, binge-watching TV series. Well, hello, Kanika. How are you doing today? Hello. I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us, and let's get started. So talk to me. Tell us a little bit about your fibroids journey and all the things that you've done in the resulting journey. Sure. So I have a long history, I would say, of fibroids, and not just myself, but my family. So I first learned about fibroids through my mother. Um, So at that point, I knew I wanted to try my best to prevent fibroids. But what happened was I found out I did have fibroids when I was pregnant. I didn't have any symptoms anything. It wasn't until my ultrasound that the technician was like, oh, you have two fibroids here. Did you know that? And I was surprised because I had always tried my best to live a healthy lifestyle and prevent uh, getting fibroids. So very devastating. I was shocked. Uh, They told me about the size at that point, but at, at that time they just said, just watch and wait and see what happens. So that's what I did. All right. And if you will, as you got your diagnosis, you were a little stunned. You were shocked because you had been doing the right things. Talk to us a little bit about some of the modalities that you explored to address the symptoms and to manage your uterine fibroids and how you went through diagnosis all the way to now. Okay, sure. So Like I said, for some time, I didn't have any symptoms, didn't even know I had the fibroids until an ultrasound. And so once I did find out I had fibroids, I did all kinds of other types of health uh, nut types of things to make sure they didn't grow anymore or if possibly I could shrink the fibroids. And so um, I did all kinds of different types of diet plans, tried all different types of People say weird kind of things like I would uh, eat minced garlic with olive oil every night. Wow. Uh, I drink smoothies for breakfast in the morning, all types of different types of things. So it wasn't really, I would say, till about 10 years later from my diagnosis that I started to experience some symptoms. Wow. And because they started slowly, I probably didn't know I was already experiencing some symptoms because mm-hmm. it was... It's been sort of a slow progression, I would say. Right. Um, and so probably one of the first things that started was uh, shortened uh, cycles. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so my menstrual cycle would start earlier and earlier. And then I started to experience more heavy, heavier uh, periods mm-hmm. each month or that I was, or maybe something as simple as, oh, I've used more pads or tampons this time. I guess I have to go buy some more, but still it wasn't as shocking to me. And still it, it got to the point where I had to start planning out my day. Where was the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Did I have enough supplies on me? Um, throughout the day, or I found myself going to the bathroom maybe every hour for at least two days out of my menstrual cycle. Oh, wow. Okay. So you really did touch on two of the key symptoms is heavy menstrual bleeding and shortened cycles. How about your pain? Were you in any pain? I didn't have any bad menstrual cramps at all. Um, So that's why it was really shocking for me um, when I did did have more symptoms. And again, I felt like I didn't know enough about fibroids. And probably once I was diagnosed with anemia by my primary care doctor, then it was like, oh, I guess this is really a problem. Because part of me felt like it's a part of getting older that your menstrual cycle will change and maybe it just gets heavier the older you get. Mm -hmm. So I just brushed it off as nothing um, until the doctor, she was really shocked. And she was like, oh, your iron levels are so low. She's like, I want you to see the hematologist. Go now. And I was like, this must be really serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went and saw the hem- hematologist. Never heard anyone talk about this at all. So I was scared, shocked, all of that at the same time. That is very scary, especially using words like hematologist, because sometimes hematology and oncology are tied together. Oftentimes you'll hear hemonc. And it just means blood and oncology or cancer at the same time. So that can be a very scary aspect of one's diagnosis. And just thinking about now you're anemic on top of uterine fibroids, that's another layer to address. And that can be pretty scary. What other symptoms were you feeling? Were you having trouble sleeping? Were you having any trouble eating? Any other dietary concerns or issues? I did have some digestion issues. Again, it was something I brushed off as not really being connected to the fibroids. So there are certain foods that I found that I don't digest as well. And so slowly I've moved away from eating as much dairy, mm-hmm. uh, red meats and pork. I would look at the, the different lists that I would find on the on the internet right. when you have fibroids, the foods to avoid. So I would try my best to avoid those types of foods. Um, I felt like it helped some with that digestion and some bloating that I experienced, but not necessarily anything changed over time Wow. Uh, with some of those symptoms. Yeah. And I did experience some insomnia, but again, I wasn't clear if that had to do anything with symptoms of the fibroids or anemia, or if it was just, uh, me being stressed or having anxiety. All of the above, all of the above. One one kind of feeds into the other. And I think, again, you're touching on and highlighting some of these major concerns is that one thing causes the next, which causes the next, which causes the next, which causes the next. And if we aren't very careful, we'll wind up ch- chasing a symptom versus the underlying cause. And the uterine fibroids are a manifestation of the underlying cause and oftentimes we're still addressing the uterine fibroids themselves and not exactly what's causing the fibroids so i really do think uh, thank you for this highlighting that kind of cascade because one thing leads to another to another and if we're not careful we start chasing the symptom but not what's actually causing the symptom in the first place so you mentioned some garlic and some olive oil, I think. <laughs> yes. I'm, not even, I'm not very familiar with that. So talk to me a little bit about that. I need to, I need to learn a little bit about that because I have, I, I'm not familiar. I've not heard that one before. So tell me a little bit about what that was designed to do um, and what benefit you derived from it. Uh, I can't even tell you that I can remember exactly where I got it from, but it was something to help with digestion um, just to help with my overall kind of like my immune health. And so what I would do was every night is I would take a clove of garlic and I would uh, mash it down and chop it up. And the idea was to leave it out for at least 10 minutes 
to let the allicin, the chemical in the garlic to come out because it's okay. released uh, right. when the garlic clove, uh, uh, when air touches right. the, the garlic. And so then I would take that clove of garlic, put it on a teaspoon and then just pour the olive oil on top of it and then just okay. swallow it like cough syrup. Okay, okay. <laughs> definitely going to make you yeah. cough, that's for sure. Or gag, <laughs> I'm not sure which one. Um, yeah, it wasn't all that great. It was pretty nasty, but it was like, okay, I've got to do this for my health. Right. Pretty similar to taking like a shot of apple cider vinegar. I've tried that before too, but I okay. could uh, stand the garlic and olive oil over the apple cider vinegar. And so, wait, you prefer the that. the gar- Wait, you prefer the garlic and the olive oil over the ACV? <laughs> okay. Yeah, the ACV made me gag. That was okay. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot. Okay, so I guess I can understand, I guess, the ACV a little bit um, in terms of detoxifying and that vinegar taste and that um, kind of soury taste getting addressing that aspect. So I guess I can understand um, that a little bit um, in terms of detoxification and making sure the liver is getting what it needs. I'm still back at the minced garlic and the olive oil trying to figure out exactly the, the, the mechanism and the pathophysiology behind that. But as of right now, I got nothing. I got nothing. I, um, I can't tell you. I just know after a couple of months, it got to the point where I started to feel nauseous when I would swallow the garlic. Yeah. And so I, I eventually had to stop. Yeah, I can I can see how that could be. It's And in that time, were you experiencing any noticeable results or any effects that were positive? I I wasn't. I wasn't seeing okay. anything. Uh, it was just, let me try something and see if this works. Let's see if the fibroids shrink. Uh, okay. Will I feel better? And nothing worked. I would say around that same time, I was also doing oil pulling. I don't know if you've heard about that. I have um, heard of oil pulling. I'm not quite sure <laughs> what that has to do with fibroids, but again, you're going to enlighten me. So talk to me about that. Again, it's another way with the oil pulling, the ideas, at least what I was told when I went uh, to a health uh, health food shop was that you use this, the natural coconut oil and it's cold, the organic uh, coconut oil. You keep it in the refrigerator. So you take a clump of it, maybe about a, a, a tablespoon, okay. and you put it in your mouth the first thing when you wake up in the morning. So before you brush your teeth, you melt the, the coconut oil in your mouth and then you just basically use it like a mouth rinse, okay. like a mouthwash okay. and just go mm, uh-huh. and like hold it in your mouth as long as you can. Take a shower with it in your mouth. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the idea is that it's pulling toxins out of your body. OK. As I'm saying it now, I'm like, it, it probably makes no sense at all. But I would go to the shop and buy fresh coconut uh, oil um, from this woman probably at least once or twice um a week to replenish okay. the coconut oil that I was using every day. You were dedicated and that's one thing I have to say. You did not try things for a little bit. You gave it you gave them their time. <laughs> you gave them their due. And that's I mean it's important. Yeah. It's important. Um because there are different strokes for different folks and different modalities will work for different beings because our bodies are all different and they're made different and the fibroids themselves are different. So when we examine a treatment modality, any less than three months, it's pretty much going to be not quite a useless effort, but at the same time, it's not necessarily going to give you a change to see how your menstrual cycle has changed. If it's changed, is it changing for the better? Is it changing for the worse? What else are you noticing in terms of your symptoms? And I think, you know, you gave it a good amount of time Again, I'm not sure if the time was necessarily correlating to the efficiency or the effectiveness, but you did get a lot of time and I appreciate the dedication. So as we talk about all the different modalities and the different things that you tried in an effort to shrink or disintegrate your fibroids, which of these has been the most successful for you? And I've only named a few. Okay. If there's more, there's let's, let's, yeah, let's, let's have them. Let's have them. Let, let, don't stop there. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to short circuit you. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell um, us more. I've tried juice cleanses. Okay. Okay. Um, I would make my own juices, um, follow a guy in the DC area where you can make your own juice without a juicer. 
Okay. So she was in cheesecloth. And so I'd buy lots of fruits and vegetables. I bought his, his cookbook so I could figure out how to make raw foods and raw smoothies. Uh-huh. And so that was been, I would spend a lot of time making all these juices um, and smoothies and certain raw foods. It was time consuming. So I can't mm-hmm. say I did that a lot. Yeah. But I I did stay consistent with making the smoothies, at least for my breakfast, because it was something I could make in the morning right. and bring it with me on my way to work. Yeah, we tried that. We just talked about smoothies and how they're so convenient, but they're actually stripping the one thing that we need, which is that skin on the fruit, which has the fiber, which helps us with digestion, which helps us get all the extra nutrients that we need, and that there's so much power in the actual skin and then when we juice yes it's convenient but it's also taking stripping us away from all the things the good stuff that we need in terms of diet and nutrition and minerals so it's a catch-22 in that regard so you juice but it was labor intensive so that kind of faded away and what did you move (laughs) on to (laughs) then i moved on to veganism i was vegan for two years that was probably the Something I've done the longest and consistently. Okay. Try all types of recipes. I first started with like a 21 day type of plan. I met someone, it was at a vegan fest in Baltimore and there were different uh, vendors with different types of foods, people who had recipes. And so it was like, okay, this, it tastes good. Okay. Not to say I don't like vegan food, but I'm I'm a meat eater. I grew up in the South. I ate all kinds of meat. Right. And if you don't eat meat, then people say, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. My grandma's from the South, so that's what she always said, used to say to me when I was a vegetarian. What's wrong with you? Your mom's not raising you, right? <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. And so I followed this 21-day plan. The recipes were really tasty. They were good. They mm-hmm. were simple. And so I tried that for the three weeks, but I found, I started to show, um, I started to break out, like had a lot of acne over my face, Okay. but I kept going. And what I read and what they would say is that, oh, that's just the detoxing process. You know, you'll break out and then it'll go away. Right. And so I tried the three day, the three week detox or not detox, but the the vegan uh, recipes for another three weeks. And then I started moving into, okay, well, maybe I need meat. And I would eat at least some kind of meat on Fridays. I was always so excited to get mm-hmm. a hamburger or something <laughs> on Fridays. But I'd get a turkey burger, not beef. Because some people are like, I don't eat red meat, but I'll eat turkey. Right. So that was my go-to food on Fridays. Okay. Eventually, I was like, okay, I'm going to commit to veganism. I'm going to go 100% vegan, and I'm taking my family with me. They're gonna, <laughs> they have to eat it, too. <laughs> You were trying to get evicted. So were you I, trying to get evicted? <laughs> <laughs> Most of the foods were tasty. There were certain yes. foods they did not like. They still talk about my lentil loaf now. <laughs> stop, uh, stop. They're like, that was the worst meal she ever made when she had us eat vegan. I spent so many hours in the kitchen cooking lentils and molding them into a meatloaf Mm-mm. shape with ketchup. No, and- <laughs> no. Mm-mm. Well, now that you've taught, now that you've now put lentil loaf in my ear and I cannot get it out. Now you're going to have to tell me exactly what it is. So I can like get the full picture of the length of a lentil loaf. It sounds disgusting. And now I just want to like, <laughs> I have to know more. So think of, so if you've had like meatloaf, usually people use ground beef or ground turkey. Okay. And you mash it up. Got and it. so the lentils are the meal replacement for the the beef or the ground turkey. So basically okay. you cook a bunch of lentils. Gotcha. And then you mash it up just like if it was ground beef, but you also cook other veggies with it. Like okay. uh, sauteed onions, okay. carrots, um, breading that you add into it. Um, you couldn't use eggs because it's vegan. Right. But... Uh, the bread would help keep the lentils together. Okay. And so I, I molded it into yeah, a that... lent, like a, a, a meatloaf shape. How and did I you made... get it in a, did you make use like a meatloaf pan, like a traditional meatloaf pan too? No, I just patted it together on a cookie sheet and molded it. It just stayed <laughs> together. That's scary. <laughs> I made three big ones because I doubled the <laughs> recipe. So we would have lentil loaf all week. 
Oh my goodness. I'm surprised I didn't put you out. Like you weren't, <laughs> you weren't put out. I didn't want to admit that it was disgusting because I spent so many hours on it. <laughs> it sounds like it was, now that sounds labor intensive. That sounds like you had to do a yes. lot to shape it into yes. a loaf yes. of beans. Okay. But yes. 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 Okay. Yes. It, yeah. <laughs> what I found during those two years of eating a vegan diet, nothing changed with my health. Right. If right. anything, I was starting to feel worse. Uh, I was, was more lethargic. Yeah. Was that before or after you were diagnosed with anemia and you got your anemia diagnosis? Not after. After. And did anybody, did anybody, any of your physicians, any of your providers speak to you about veganism and how to be a vegan if you were already anemic? Nope. No one mentioned that at all. Wow. Nope. Most people say, oh, that's great. You're not eating meat. Wow. And that was it. Yeah. That's, you were literally like, as a person who was already losing one large amount of blood throughout the, over the course of a month. And then already having anemia and now even more so stripping your body from all the extra, you know, nutrients and blood building nutrients that especially that would help address your anemia. Now you're making a bad situation worse. And during this time, how are you feeling? I know we talked about fatigue. I know I briefly brought up uh, your sleep habits, but how are you feeling in terms of just getting through your day to day? I felt really lethargic. I still wasn't sleeping all that well at night. I couldn't sleep through the night. Um, I would take like uh, melatonin supplements. Mm. I keep them kept them by my bed. I actually just this past weekend took them out of my um, nightstand because you're sleeping um, better. So re- reorganizing. Yeah, I'm oh, sleeping better. I don't get it, girl. Need anything? Yeah, you don't wait. You don't need anything. <laughs> we'll talk about that soon. But go ahead, continue. <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't throw them out. I just put them in the bathroom now. I don't need them near my bed. So, um, but I also, while I was eating a vegan diet, I broke out a lot. I started getting cystic acne on yes. my face and I wow. couldn't understand why. I thought it was something else or maybe I was really stressed at work. Um, right. And they would take really long for the the pimples to go down. It was getting worse and worse. It got to the point where I even saw an allergist because I was thinking, well, maybe I'm allergic to one of the foods I've incorporated in the vegan diet. Right. When I went, they didn't show that I was allergic to anything. Okay. Not even sensitivities. So I was like, okay, I guess it's not my diet. So I'll continue eating the food. Wow. But it got to a point when I was about two years in, I just had a craving for a hamburger. Mm -hmm. And even before... Um, eating a vegan diet. I didn't eat beef. Okay. But I wanted beef. I was like, I don't want a turkey burger. <laughs> My birthday was coming up. I told a coworker, I was like, hey, let's go to the Silver Diner. They make really good hamburgers. I was like, if I'm going to get a, a beef hamburger, I want it to be grass fed. Right. There you go. We're going to do <laughs> so this. Let's do it right. <laughs> <laughs> but I also got bacon on it, cheese. Oh, oh I got yes. a, um an Oreo milkshake. So I was like, okay, well, everything's organic. So it's okay. I ate all of it up. And this was probably three days before my birthday. Uh-huh. Then I went back again two days later to get oh, another wow. hamburger and a milkshake. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> okay, there you go. Like my body was craving meat for yes. some reason. And then after that, I just started eating meat again. I was just like, I think I'm done. Yeah, this is this is over. This diet. This is over. Yeah. And you again, you hi- you're highlighting some really great points. And a lot of times um, when we're having cravings, it's not so much the you think you're craving sugar, but you're actually, in your case, definitely craving higher quality fatty foods. Um, your body needed something to, one, give you energy. You were fatigued. You're lethargic. You're not sleeping well. And immediately most of us go for that sugar that sweet that's something because it gives it will give you a jolt and it does satisfy that appear appears to address the craving but usually when we're craving something it's usually because we are lacking something there's a deficiency there and in your case it was that high quality fats because you weren't getting it in the myriad of plants and (laughs) plant-based foods that you were ingesting so that's another great point to you highlight so we're going to continue on this journey. What else are you going? What else you got? 
<laughs> I'm excited. I mean, I'm actually being entertained. So yes, continue. I've tried different teas because I've read that certain teas or herbs like red raspberry, hibiscus, right. dandelion, that they were good um, for the female reproductive system. And so there was a tea, I drunk it so much, hibiscus tea, that I noticed it was starting to change my cycle. And so right. I would start In which spotting. direction? In which Oh, okay. And was it shorter? I know I you mentioned start, that it was, it was shorter before. In this particular case, with the hibiscus tea, I started spotting in between my period. And I oh, wow. didn't think that was the problem. And then I stopped it and then it went away. Right. So I was like, oh. I guess I can't drink all my teas now because mm-hmm. um, I was drinking tea like water. I had right. like my box at work. I had my box at home. So I was like, okay, well, I can't try that. So what I ended up ultimately doing, and this was while I was vegan um, at the same time, was I decided to, I went to my um, gynecologist at the time and I was like, okay, something has to change as far as the symptoms and she recommended that I get the Depo-Provera shot. You get oh, the shot. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay. Oh, be still And I was heart. thinking, okay, I can take away all the bleeding if I just get a shot once every three months because that's what mm-hmm. I read was mm-hmm. something that helped a lot of people who were experiencing symptoms from fibroids. And so I got the shot and um once my menstrual cycle started it didn't stop nope for about three months right yeah (laughs) that wasn't good that's not good And so yeah the flow would change it would go up it would go down but it would not stop i contacted the doctor and i was like something's wrong you know the bleeding's not stopping she's like oh that's okay it's normal for some people i called probably a couple of weeks later she's like oh it's okay why don't you just come in for your next shot you're almost due for your shot I was like no, no i'm not getting a shot bleeding for for three months straight is never normal it's never acceptable it's not okay it's not something you should get over those those messages are inconsistent with health and wellness um and again highlighting another point and i i like that you're bringing up and being very candid about your experiences because again this is about learning and additional awareness and education is that uterine fibroids are hormone sensitive and they're hormone especially to estrogen and progesterone and most uterine fibroids are not just sensitive to but when you give are being given birth control, which are estrogen and progesterone combination, one or the other, that's the food. That's their food. So they're synthetic. They take over the exogenous or the synthetic takes over the endogenous, which is what your body makes naturally. So now not only are you getting, you're feeding your fibroids, but you're also feeding it with a synthetic hormone. And now your endogenous hormone doesn't even know what to do because there's no place for it to land. And it just creates a crazy, messy cycle, literally, um, that's impossible to predict because there's all of these messages that aren't being conveyed consistently and the whole mechanism has been hijacked by the exogenous hormones. So again, another, another fact that you've highlighted and a lot of women take birth control or prescribe birth control to address their fibroids and at the end of the day, it usually gets worse instead of better and on top of that you were bleeding more often which again exacerbated a situation that you already had with your anemia what i'm sure like your fatigue your lethargy your sleep pattern your anxiety all those are now potentially worsening because you are losing your blood sources every month all month and that's not a good thing not a good thing all right what's what was it next And out of desperation, because the bleeding wouldn't stop, right. uh, found someone on Facebook who had, uh, it was a, another vegan type program. I okay. paid all this money for the, the, it was like a dietary type program. Um, but you would also have weekly meetings with the other people who were part of the group. So okay. everyone didn't necessarily have fibroids, so maybe people had polycystic ovarian syndrome okay. or some other type of. Uh, maybe autoimmune type disorder. Okay. Okay. And so after about a month of, you know, being on this plan, you know, 
I got upset with the with the person because I was like, I paid all this money and you said this was gonna help. I'm like, nothing's changed. Yeah. Um, so um that didn't work, so I stopped that plan. Mm-hmm. I still had the recipes, which were really great. They're really good recipes. Okay, you got something out of so, good food. <laughs> yes, lots of good food. But at that point, I, I was like, okay, I don't know what to do because the bleeding just won't help. Uh, it won't stop. Won't it's stop. Not, yeah. Nothing's helping. So we're more or less given like from your diagnosis to now we are at this expensive program that at the end of the day wasn't quite as efficient or effective as you had desired. More or less, how many years are you into your diagnosis? Um. Uh, Maybe 15? Oh, wow. 15 okay. Years. Okay. All right. Wow. Okay. Wow. Wow. So you, this is 15 years in. And I think, again, you're, thank you so much because you're really highlighting the trajectory of so many women who have tried anything and everything out of desperation, out of trying to do the right thing and trying to not just get better, but eliminate some of the symptoms that are causing them to really kind of be detached from real life and engaging in real life. And I think that's so important because again, this is, you're highlighting almost to a T what this can be, this can look like and what it looks like for so many women and how frustrating and how upsetting and how embarrassing and how just overall this situation is draining because you're doing all the work and you put in a lot of time into preparing meals and making sure you bought the right food and buying special products and it's not just time but it's some in some cases it's money yeah yeah so i got to the point where i started telling other people what i was experiencing because okay. i was keeping quiet about it okay and i told one of my coworkers. I can't even remember why I told her, but I felt comfortable telling her like, hey, I'm experiencing this and my the bleeding won't stop. Right. And she's the one who recommended acupuncture because she was okay. telling me um, she used to work for a group of acupuncturists and she mm-hmm. met a woman. And so she suggested I go to her office. And so that's how it, it started. Oh, good. And so still you know being embarrassed going to the office saying okay this is why i'm here right um i took this shot uh can you help me stop the bleeding and so i found that acupuncture it actually helped within about two weeks i'll say about two weeks the bleeding stopped and by three by week three it was gone okay and i was like wow uh-huh. This works. <laughs> it, miraculously, yes. <laughs> I love yeah, I love as an acupuncturist as well. I love when people have that response. They come into it thinking I guess this is going to fail too and like when it does work they're like wait a minute, this is working. Or when they say, I don't know if it was the acupuncture, but and I'm like, of course it was the acupuncture. Nothing else has been working. And this, you can see that it has been. <laughs> but those, so I love that expression as well. I love that too. So yeah, when you started acupuncture, what else, um, how long, I know you said it took about two to three weeks to kind of get that original symptom, that prevailing symptom, that symptom that was the most troublesome to get that to s- subside how long were you in acupuncture and how often were you getting treatments? When I first started, I was going on a weekly basis okay. uh, for treatments. And my first thought of acupuncture was probably what people think of like Charlotte from uh, in sex in the city. <laughs> yes. where she had all these pins the needles in her all face. Over her face. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Our like nutty professor, they were pretty much all over his body and they were uh-huh. like, are you still hungry? And he's like, yeah. So that was my thought of acupuncture. Right. Um, not the case, not, not at all. Um, very uh, eye-opening experience for me. Um, and so I would go about once, once a week, I think for about a month. And then eventually it was every other, um, twice a month and then just once a month just for maintenance good Good. but at that point i was starting to go for other things at Mm -hmm. least trying to address the fibroids but more so at the time probably more of stress and anxiety okay um with dealing with the acupuncturist and it got to a point i was probably seeing her 
I know it was over a year, maybe almost close to two, okay. um, where it got to a point where she kind of took me to about where I could go mm-hmm, um, as mm-hmm. far as with the symptoms and what I was experiencing. Okay. And so then it was like, okay, I feel like um, it's time for me to, to find something new or something different. Right. And her office at the time was also going through a transition. Um, her office was moving at the time. Um, and so I feel like it was also shortly then COVID started. Mm. And so I wasn't seeing anybody for, for a while as far as with the acupuncture. And I got right. so used to it um, going. I was like, okay, I, I, I need to fill this void. Right, right, right. Um, and so the person I was seeing, she was only an acupuncturist. Mm-hmm. And so that was what her treatments were. I did also take Chinese herbs with her to address okay. uh, the anemia and right. other things uh, based on what I was experiencing at the time. But I, what happened was, what was the, the, the I feel like, the drawing point was when I saw my gynecologist at the time and I would say I've been living in the DMV area for about almost eight years. Okay. And I'll say I'm on my third gynecologist now. All right. Because the people I I was seeing, I was like, this isn't working. Mm -hmm. Let me try somebody else. And so the second person I saw, they had a fibroid center and I was thinking, Mm -hmm. okay, they would be, able to help me found out that wasn't the case that she couldn't help me only thing she kept pushing was you should get a hysterectomy you should get a hysterectomy so by the last time i saw her she was like oh well let's go ahead and schedule this now she pulled out all the paperwork and was like i could get you scheduled she was looking on a calendar how about this date i was like what (laughs) she's wow aggressive Uh, yeah very aggressive it was very stressful. Uh, didn't ask what did I think. It was more of like, oh, you're not having kids anyway, so why why wait? Let's just have this procedure. <sighs> Your other option is um, the immobilization procedure. And right. she explained like how she would do the procedure, all of that. It still didn't make me feel comfortable, but she was like, oh, well, just take the paperwork and the the, the pamphlets talk it over and just call back and we can schedule your surgery. She wrote out a prescription for some iron. It was like, let's get your iron levels up to this point and then we can have your surgery. You'll be out for about three weeks and then you can go back to work. Wow. And I was like, what? I was so depressed. Just as you're explaining that. it, as you're talking about it, I feel like cold and just completely detached from any type of relationship I would have. Not, not, it was even with my own provider, it didn't seem like there was a lot of caring or concern, not even not necessarily coddling, but trying to figure out what was important to you. And I don't know if she asked or he or she asked, but did she assume that you didn't want to have any more children? Did she did you tell her that you didn't want to have any more children or was this a oh, you're not going to have any more children. So we're just going to direct you to a hysterectomy. I felt like it was more of an assumption because. Right. Although mentally I felt like I'm done having kids, that didn't mean that I was finally, like, really, really done done. Right. Still, it means, okay, I don't have the option to change my mind if I did want to right. have another uh, child. Definitely final. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that um, experience. And I was like, I can't, I can't go back. Right. Um, and so... And during this process, as she presented, or he or she, was it a she? It was a she. A she, okay. Did she present yeah. to you any other options outside of surgical intervention or I think you've mentioned the embolization procedure? Were any other alternatives or any other options presented to you that were not surgical in nature? Nope. Nope. Yeah. Nothing else. Just besides kind of, I would say, the routine kind of checkup list Mm -hmm. that a doctor will go with you and say, okay, you should exercise these many times a week or this is a a balanced diet. Um, That was it. There was no other um, options besides surgery, which I was surprised, especially since this was a a fibroid center. I thought they would have other options. Yeah. Uh, for me at the time. 
again, I think you're just like my numero uno guest right now because you're hitting on all the marks <laughs> in terms of things in, in, in the woman's journey when she has fibroids. Like you're hitting on the diet aspect. You're hitting on, we haven't talked about movement, but I know you were um, athletic and engaged in terms of movement. Um, we're hitting on like the surgical intervention versus other options, even some of those natural options or non-pharmaceutical options and non-hormonal options, but they weren't necessarily addressing the root of the issue. And in some cases they were making them worse. And now you are almost 15 plus years in and acupuncture seems like it's the only thing up to this point that provided some noticeable and measurable results. Um, which is not hormonal, non-surgical, and in, for the most part, you didn't even have to change your diet. And that definitely addressed some of the symptomatology. And yet and still, we're still not getting to that underlying cause. Like what's going on? How did these start growing in the first place? Um, and as the trajectory of fibroids continue, not only potentially are they growing, not only are others forming, but they also are changing in texture, potentially getting harder instead of soft, more mal uh, less malleable, and that can complicate things as well. Um, I know that this is, it just sounds like it has been super exhausting, super exhausting, especially when you're trying all these things and you're being in tune with your body, trying to do the right thing, listening to others' advice, not getting good counsel in the process mm -hmm. and still trying to make those changes so that you can address something that's going on in your body. Um, as you, I think we talked about this earlier, but have you, you mentioned, I think castor oil packs. Yes. Yes. And so what I've done, so since seeing the last gynecologist um, in between that time and not seeing an acupuncturist, also at the same time, especially with COVID happening, just not really going to any doctor's appointments, just being at home. Right. Had a lot more time to read, spend time on social media. And so it was probably August, I would say of 2020, it was vaginal steaming month. And so mm -hmm. I heard of steaming and done a little stuff on my own. Uh, <laughs> just a little bit of stuff, just a little bit. You tried a couple things, just tried a couple things. I mean, you were just yeah, trying to see how things like, would work. <laughs> yeah, just using a pot of water and sometimes some apple cider vinegar. And I was like, well, let's, let's see. Um, but I was following um, someone on social media and you, Dr. White, you came up. Um, a couple of the posts and I was like who is this woman and so <laughs> it showed someone who's an acupuncturist and also a gynecologist and it's like wow this is two people not two people but the one person doing two different things right <laughs> it's like bringing together two different people yeah so I was like wow she's a unicorn but she's also talking about fibroids and different treatments outside of surgery was probably the biggest thing and as soon as I saw the post I was like I was on the internet I was looking it up I was like I need to make an appointment because I'm like everybody's gonna see this post and she's gonna fill up fast that was my idea and so I think I probably called that Monday probably left a message did everything I could to make sure I could get in before anybody else got my appointment right um because I was like okay she's the one I got to come see her. I'm like, and not that, not only that, she's local because I live in the Rockville, Maryland area and your office is in Columbia, Maryland, about yes. 30 minutes away without traffic. So I was like, this is great. Usually whenever I do find someone <laughs> at least of interest there in New York, California. maybe they're back in Georgia, California, yep. somewhere in Europe, who knows where. <laughs> right. I'm like, she's in Maryland? What? Okay. So, Maybe we've got some gems. <laughs> um, so I was like, this is my situation. Um, and so it's been really good so far. Been about maybe four or five months. Mm -hmm. The time has flown. But um, Dr. White, you've shown me a lot of different other ways of treating fibroids. Um, so we've done... She mentioned castor oil packs. Mm -hmm. That's something um, I do daily. Yes. 
um, where I get castor oil. You could buy it in most health food stores. You put it on your stomach or either what I do that you take wool cloth and most people have probably heard of this method, but you put it on the castor oil and the wool cloth and then you lay it on your stomach and then put a layer of uh, plastic wrap so you don't mess up your clothes. And then you put like a hot water bottle on, on top. Right. And I've done this method before because I've read it on the internet. <laughs> um, on the internet. I an, <laughs> but I would use an electric... Um, heating pad uh-huh um and what and, you and what did we talk about and what did we talk about that was made the electric we, heating pad different than a hot water bottle that it's oh my god I feel you like know I it. it no you it's know the it. type of it's the type of heat the yes. water it's more it's it water with chinese medicine yes it's um, dampy that water yeah dampy um yeah. and so that's the best way to transfer the heat is yes. through water versus electric type yes heat. damp heat is definitely uh, more effective especially with that castor oil because it's going to seep into the skin get into the fibroids and get through those muscle layers where the fibroids are usually somewhere especially if they're intramural um the intramural layer of your of your uterus so yeah so very good. Yeah. So the idea, the, the castor oil, and, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, is no, that the castor dead. oil helps break up the top, uh, uh, the, the the fibroids and helps them shrink. Yes. It's a slow progression. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's not going to be a like a vegan eating plan or something <laughs> like that. Um, right. And it depends on the size of the fibroids. And so since I said I've had mine since, like 15 years ago, yeah. but they didn't grow for a really long time because when I would have other, um, I've seen a chiropractor, other things, <laughs> all that, but when I've had x-rays and other things, I could see the fibroids I'm like, and I get my own little ruler and say, oh, okay, they haven't changed in size. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> probably the, the, since I've been in this area about the past seven <laughs> years they've grown um over over time i think mostly due to stress uh in the traffic yeah. in the area i would say that'll do it <laughs> that'll do that. it but yeah <laughs> I, I think again you touched on castor oil packs you've touched on acupuncture um and a, the bigger again another big thing that you talked about is that these fibroids when you were even diagnosed they had already been growing in your body for at least one to three years so if you tack on the 15 years that since your diagnosis, you've had a condition that has been developing in your body for 20 years. And during that 20 year period, some of the things you were doing were actually expediting their growth. So not only were they not getting smaller, you were feeding them and they were getting bigger. And in the process of doing different diets, you were still losing a lot of blood. And so now the fibroids are hijacking your uterine circulation because they're like, we gotta grow, you gotta feed us. And so we're gonna take the circulation that is coming to your uterus and we're gonna hijack that. So again, I'm applauding you because I couldn't have asked for a better guest um, because you really <laughs> are demonstrating like what a trajectory this is for many women, all the things they've tried, some of them not just not working, but they're also hindering. And in the process of all these things that are being tried and experimented with, you're not getting a lot of like good sound counsel in terms of what not to do or what to do. And sometimes we're just going straight to the surgical option, which isn't helping anybody, whether you want to have children or not. Um, some women want to preserve, not just preserve their fertility, but preserve their organ structure. And just going directly to the surgical option sometimes is a turnoff. And if you don't have to, it's not necessarily the way to go either. Um, so, yeah, we kind of brought ourselves to the present. And so I'm excited. Um, talk to us um, about the new endeavor that you're embarking on. I'm excited for you. So share it with our guests as well, our, our audience as well. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So something while um, going to Dr. White's office, uh, doing the acupuncture and the different types of treatments for my fibroids. And again, everybody's treatment is going to be different based on what you're going through and where they're located, how long you've had them, how big they are, so many different things. Um, I found that I've always felt like I'm alone in this process and just 
trying to deal with my fibroids, especially dealing with them for so many years. Most people I've interacted with have said, oh, what are you waiting for? Just get a hysterectomy. That's what I, I, I hear people say all the time. Just get a hysterectomy. Just let it go. Why are you holding on? And it's like, that's not what I want to do. Right. I've heard about other types of symptoms people experience once they do get a, a hysterectomy, like prolapse or vaginal dryness mm-hmm. um, and other types of symptoms people may have. And so wanted to create like a, a women's support group for other people who are experiencing issues with fibroids. And so working with Dr. White to formulate this women's support group, and it will be healing from fi- from uterine fibroids, silent no more. So the big part of that is silent no more, because what I found is a lot of people who are experiencing issues with their fibroids, they're not talking to people um, very silent. A lot of people don't know why people may be very, may seem as if they're introverted, not social, not dating for different reasons. And it may be because it's fibroids, but we don't mm-hmm. know that. Right. People don't talk about it. I've heard about people saying, okay, it's, it's affected their dating life. Yeah. They can't go out anywhere. Vacations are out because you never know what's going to happen. You have yep. to always make sure you have enough supplies on you just in case an accident happens, right. um, all kinds of things that can affect uh, your quality of life. And so I just want to use this platform as a way to educate women to understand you're not alone in experiencing this and that hysterectomies right. are either any other, I would say, medical uh, surgical procedure is not the only option, but there's right. other options, but you have to be patient. Now, I know yes. throughout this conversation i've mentioned all the different things that i've tried but i'm very persistent and i'm like let me try this one more thing i'm gonna give it my all and see how that works and if it doesn't then i'll see what what are my other options but i rather say i've tried everything that i can and if it gets to the point where i'm like okay you know i've done my best then i feel better with myself um doing that before making a big decision and I'm very proud so. of you because you have been very, very, very consistent with your treatment. Everything that I've asked you to do, not only do you do it, but you ask me a thousand and one questions, which I love, <laughs> which I love. I can't help it. it. I yeah, because you keep me on my A game <laughs> and make sure I'm, I'm not, you know, trying to, no half-stepping, no half-stepping. And I, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but it also gives me an opportunity to explain to you and get you engaged in your own care and as an engaged patient is, again, one of my favorite patients because we're actually a team. And when we're a team, we can get a whole lot more done and accomplished than it being one-sided. And some patients do arrive where they expect me to do the work and the magic is going to happen and then everything is just going to vanish. However, we talk a lot about lifestyle changes and that no one arrives at whatever point of dysfunction or whatever evolution of their condition Overnight, you didn't just wake up one morning and have fibroids. You woke up one morning and were diagnosed with fibroids. However, that disease process, that condition has been evolving for anywhere between one and five years, um, could potentially even more, um, because there is a nature versus nurture component. There is a potential genetic component as well. So when we look at those things, and I think even highlighting that you were trying to do everything to prevent Um, sometimes we just don't know what good for us truly is until we find out what isn't good for us. And sometimes that's a rough way to find out. So you've tried a lot of different resources. You've done a lot of things. You've gone a lot of places. You've eaten a lot of food. (laughs) Uh, What resources do you suggest for people who are living with uterine fibroids? I would say, first I want to say probably what resources to not look at. That's probably the biggest thing. (laughs) I would say because I still do it now, mm-hmm. is stop scrolling on the internet at night in bed on your phone, looking at different ways to treat fibroids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so I would say try try your best to stop reading so many different articles, different posts. Some can be helpful, some are not. And it's, it's right. hard to distinguish what are the good resources. But I feel like yeah. most of them all, they most of them talk about the same things, but it usually always leads to surgical procedures. I would right. say if anything, find resources out there that 
mention other types of natural options. Right. I would say be careful about, um, I've seen lots of different products out there that people would have to take like supplements and vitamins. If you're not seeing like a professional, uh, a doctor about these different types of uh, options that you're taking orally, I would say steer clear of it. Right. You don't know how it's going to affect you at all. And so I've read a lot of different women's health books, watch uh, different shows and other things. But I would say I, I haven't found the best resource because it's not out there. Wow. I've seen things from people who say they're the fibroid elimination guru, buy my cookbook. And I'm thinking, well, who is this person? Why should I trust you? Um <laughs> And so <laughs> I would just say, you know, do your own research, yeah. but just, you know, be careful about, about, you know, what you do, um, especially because it's your body. I like that. That's, that's sound, that's sound, that's sound judgment. And I love that. Well, that brings us into our last question. What parting words of wisdom would you like to share with our audience? I would say for women who are experiencing symptoms with uterine fibroids, or even if you're not experiencing any symptoms, or you know people, friends or family with fibroids, don't stay silent. Mm -hmm. Talk up, talk to people about what you're experiencing. Um, when you stay silent, then no one can help you. It's, it's, I would say it's the same as if you're looking for a job if you don't tell people, hey, I'm looking for a job or you're not networking, how are you supposed right. to get hired? There no one can help you. So same way, think about that with, when you have fibroids and you're experiencing symptoms. The more I start talking to people, then people could at least um, provide you know, some advice or some help or someone to talk to. I even started, once I started talking to people, they would say, oh, my mom experienced that or I experienced mm. that. And right. I always thought that it was mostly black women right. who experienced having really bad symptoms with fibroids. But I've since found out that there's a lot more women out there. We just don't talk about it. Right. Uh, right. Talking about women's issues are very taboo. So don't stay silent. Talk about it. Don't feel embarrassed. It's our bodies. And so we got to feel comfortable with ourselves. That's the only way we're going to heal. Excellent. I like that you ended on the word healing. That's great. And just give us a little, I know we talked about it, um, but just give us a little bit more of the details of the support group. Where can they find it? It will be in the show notes, but just make sure that it is now open um, and you can join the group at any moment in time. So give us a little bit more information about the support group. Yeah. So look on Facebook. The name of the group is Healing from Uterine Fibroids, Silent No More Women's Support Group. So make sure you look on Facebook for that. We'll also be doing, there'll be some advertising on Instagram and other social media outlets. So look us up. All right. Enjoying. And don't be silent. <laughs> don't be silent. I love it. I love it. Well, we are also coming to the portion, this is my favorite portion of the podcast, which is the wine part. You've been great. <laughs> um, I was sipping while you were talking. So now let's uh, get your glass <laughs> and we can virtual salute and cheers all the things. Cheers to you. And thank Ooh. you so much for joining us today. And hold on. Beautiful. Beautiful. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your glass. And again, thank you so much for not just sharing your story, but also talking about giving us opportunities for education and additional awareness about uterine fibroids and what can be done and all the options that are there to address healing. I appreciate you and I look forward to working with you in the future. Yeah. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Kanika, for providing us with a glimpse into your journey and perspective as a woman living with uterine fibroids. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guests, links to the website, contact information, and social media channels. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply it to your own life. Also, please take a moment to like the episode, follow the channel, comment, and share with your family, friends, and colleagues. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you real soon.